Hello, good morning. It is so good to see you all here. If you are just joining us for the first time, welcome. If you are online, I always forget you guys. Welcome. If you are an old friend of this family, welcome. And everybody in between, welcome. Kids, welcome. Did I get everybody? I think I got everybody, right? Um, we are so excited that God has brought us together as a family to gather together to know each other well, and to learn and worship him today. If you are just joining us and you would like some more information, there's a card in the front of your chair. You can grab that and fill it out, hand it to one of the ushers on the way out. If you're online and you want to know more about us, you can click the New Here tab at vlchurch.com and fill that out. It's a great way for us to be able to communicate with you. Well, as families do, we like to have fun together. And we want you to join us. Hopefully you've heard that February, or not February, Saturday, April 1st, we are having a spring cleanup work day at the church. And it's even better than you could have imagined. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, when the parents are away, the kids will play. But it turns out that both of the pastors will be out on Saturday. And so while the parents are away, us kids can play. And it is going to be wonderful to serve with the volunteers of this church. Our trustees are ready to lead us well, and we'll all be there volunteering together side by side. And it's a great way to have fun together and to have bonding together as a family. So come this Saturday. We're excited to have you. I heard a rumor about donuts. So join us on Saturday. You can sign up out in the hallway with our trustee, Peter Hobart, or you can go online and click the Church Work Day tab and sign up online as well. Um, if you can't make that one, there's another one. Let me see here. April 22nd. So if you can't make the April 1st, plan on the April 22nd day. It's going to, I think, mainly be focused on our new community garden that we're putting in. So both are great opportunities, and we really are excited just to be a family working together. Well, as families do, it's wonderful to gather in the fun times, but also sometimes when it's a harder time, time to pause and reflect. Uh, families do that well together, and we have an opportunity to gather together uh, Friday, Good Friday, which is April 7th at 3 p.m. here, and this is a time for us to reflect and pause and remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. And when we can do this with others whose heart love, who, whose hearts love and resonate, resonate the, the sweetness of this moment, it's a beautiful thing. So we encourage you all to join us for Good Friday, April 7th at 3 p.m. It will be in this room, and we can remember and reflect what Jesus did when he died for us and for the world. Um, and as we move from Good Friday into Easter, we desire to celebrate that together with you. Easter Sunday at 9.30 and 11 services will be here in this sanctuary. We will celebrate together, as families do so well, the victory of Jesus. He did not leave us hopeless when he died on the cross, but he resurrected and brought us eternal hope forever. And we are so glad and excited to celebrate that as a family together here on Easter Sunday. And I would like to challenge you personally, if you know someone who needs that hope, if you know someone who can use reminder of what Jesus did for us on Easter Sunday, I would encourage you to bring them. Encourage them to come or just put them in the car with you and bring them along. But some people, they need that hope this time of year. And let's keep our eyes open and look around and see who we can bring to celebrate with us. Okay. If you are a regular attender and you desire to trust God, not with what man can do with his hands, but trust him with what he can do through this family. It's your time to give your tithes and offerings. You can do that three ways. You can text to give, you can go online to give, or you can give it to an usher on the way out. 
We thank you for doing that. It's because of your gifts that God uses this family to do his work. Will you stand with me as we pray to enter into worship? Dear God, thank you that you have brought each one of us here. Thank you that because you know all things, you know where each one of us are and what each one of us need. I pray that as we worship and learn today, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that it would show us our sin, that, it would, that he would grow us, and that he would show us the work that you have for us to do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you've come ready to worship today because we have an opportunity to communicate with our Creator. We have an opportunity to connect with our Creator. The Bible says, Lord inhabits the praises of his people, or he's enthroned upon the praises of his people. So when we open our mouth and praise today, he will show up in this place. He will be here, and you will connect with him who created you. So let's worship him together. Amen?
Hallelujah. Let's continue to worship. King of my nights. I love the words of that song because it declares exactly who God is to us. In laughter, in grief, in sorrow, no matter what, you never leave me, God. You are faithful. And I know I need the Lord every day of my life. I need him walking side by side with me. In fact, I need him leading the way. I need him every day. There's an old hymn that says, I need thee every hour. I was going to sing a little bit of it today, but it was too hard for me. <laughs> but I do need him every hour. I do. Because he's the one who leads and guides my steps. He's the one who keeps me safe. He's the one who protects me. He's the one that provides for me. He's the one that heals for me. I need him. But I also need what's best, which is his salvation and forgiveness. Because it's through his salvation and forgiveness that I have hope of eternal life. I need 
my Savior. So let's call upon him today and worship him together.
never failing. You are the same God. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you're the same. Yes, you are. Let's declare that one more time. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. Father God, what an honor it is to worship you this morning. Father, our hearts are full this morning as we look to you. And Father, I know many people are here today with hurts. All of us have some hurts. They may be small, they may be large, but we give them to you, Lord. May we know that you are the answer. And Father, that just, just gives us joy. We are so thankful that we have you. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Someone different on stage today, eh? I'm Travis White. I'm one of the elders here at Victory Life Church. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you the person who will bring us the word today. But I know you children are waiting to be dismissed. So you may be dismissed right now. Go down to the old sanctuary and enjoy some time for you. Parents, you're welcome to go with them and see where they're going. And don't forget to pick them up at the end, please. There they go. Well, when my wife and I started attending Victory Life Church in 1992, I was quickly introduced to this man. And after a few weeks, I knew I'd found a new friend. And I knew this friend loved the Word of God. Over the years, I have taken many of his Sunday school classes, as I know many of you have. So this morning, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you your friend and mine, Mr. Kim Smith. Put a clown face on it. We could. Okay. And actually, the clown—the clown's behind it, like, yeah. <clears throat> well, Pastor uh, Skifstad has been uh, leading you through a ten-week uh, story and study on the amazing Paul the Apostle, uh, his missionary journeys, and his evangelical uh, input. And I just wanted to kind of give you a little quiz today. In my Sunday school class, I, I put little quizzes up every now and then, and usually there's one or two that aren't true. I'm not going to do that to you. Maybe. Um, Pastor taught you to never underestimate when an evangelic, evangelistic mind can take you. Never underestimate where an evangelistic mind can take you. Do you believe that? You're supposed to answer. Do you believe that? He also taught you that light shines, light shiners, Called you light shiner. Stay on mission despite persecution. Is that okay? Yeah. And persecution in our case doesn't mean what it may mean in other countries or even back then, but you have lots of things that try to get in the way of uh, your daily life, don't you? He talked about establishing credibility, presenting Jesus, 
Knowing and sharing your whys. Does that sound familiar? Hmm, not so much, huh? And finally, he said, make an appeal. The whole point of the Christian life is to make an appeal to someone else, is to reproduce ourselves. So after 10 weeks, the pastor decided to go on vacation. And what was to be his summary Sunday, he asked if I would take, take and I said I would. Um, I just want to remind you a little bit of last week. Paul was falsely accused in the temple riot. And he was arrested by a Roman commander and his soldiers. Uh, there was a lie. And the lie from the crowd was that Paul had brought some Greeks, non-Jews, into the temple. He had not. But that was a um, sin that if you as a Jew committed, you could be put to death for. And it was one of the few sins that the Romans actually allowed the Jews to put someone to death on. So because of the riot, there was a fortress attached to uh, the temple in Jerusalem called the Fortress Antonio. In there, there's a, a Roman commander and a number of soldiers. Uh, and they actually have steps that go down into the temple, uh, temple area proper. And uh, this commander and his soldiers came down and rescued Paul from this crowd. And as he was taking him back up the steps, uh, Paul asked if he could turn around on the steps and just speak to the crowd. And the commander said, okay, well, doesn't sound like a good idea to me, and it wasn't. Because Paul told them that after everything he had said, God had told him to go to the Gentiles and that God would present salvation to the Gentiles. Well, you can imagine what this did to the crowd. The crowd went berserk, and the soldiers had to fight their way up the steps and actually finally uh, imprison him temporarily in uh, the fortress Antonio. He waited there for, uh, excuse me, he was transferred then to the headquarters of Festus. Uh, Festus was mentioned last week by Pastor Matt. Uh, he was a procurator of Judea. And his headquarters was in Caesarea. Now Caesarea was on the uh, beach in uh, Mediterranean, an absolutely gorgeous place, I've been there. Uh, and the, the palace of Herod, the summer palace of Herod was there. Herod Agrippa and Herod Agrippa II. And uh, it was considered one of the modern, at that time, modern day miracles. It was, it was that important of a structure. Uh, he was held there for two years. Two years. Now, he wasn't in prison. He was kind of house imprisoned here. And Festus would continually uh, have him come and speak with him. But the Bible says he was hoping to get a bribe. All Paul had to do was pay a bribe, and he would have been free. But Paul didn't do that. Paul proclaimed his faith in his suffering. And Paul finally, a Roman citizen, appealed to Caesar. That's kind of like appealing to the Supreme Court here. You can do it, but it takes a long time. And you have to go to Washington, D.C. In his case, he would have to go to Rome. So before he went, Festus, as Pastor Matt talked about last week, had King Agrippa II come and listen to Paul's story, listen to his witness. And when he was done, he told Festus, you know, there's nothing this guy has done that is wrong. He could go now, except he appealed to Caesar. Once you appeal, you can't take it back. Make it so. So you know what that means. That's Jean-Luc Picard, right? Make it so. That's my signal to Cindy in the back to change the slides. Um, so Acts 27 and 28 are what we're left for us to sum up today. And we'll do that quickly on this one map. And in particular, what we have here is uh, the voyage that Paul took to get to Rome. It was a perilous voyage, a, uh, a dangerous voyage. Anytime you took a long trip on the Mediterranean at that time, in those ships, you were in danger. And they left from Caesarea, and they left uh, on a ship, and eventually uh, a centurion at Caesarea was assigned to him. And a centurion was a Roman officer with how many soldiers? 100, that's right. So Paul was an important, important person here. Well, guess what? To move him to Caesarea from Jerusalem originally, they set up a group of 276 soldiers and cavalry just for Paul to protect him. 276. Isn't that amazing? The president doesn't get those numbers. Um, 
Then he switched to a grain ship, a grain ship from Alexandria in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, Egypt was the uh, grain uh, capital of the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. They provided the greatest part of, of that. They went to the island of uh, Crete, and then finally they were shipwrecked after a terrible storm on the island of Malta. And from there, they went up into Rome. Uh, because of Paul's interaction and his prayer and, and uh, his uh, faith, no one drowned in that shipwreck. And that's pretty amazing. So where does that leave us? Paul is in Rome. And that's where we're going to start today. Paul's in Rome. And what I want you to understand and see today is how amazing this life of Paul is. How not only has everything he's done and suffered up to this point been more than any other person we see in Scripture, not necessarily counting Jesus, but he's going to have that much more going on now. He's now in Rome. Rome, the, the center of the world at that time uh, in Western Europe. And Paul, so he appealed to the leaders of the Jews in Rome. And he said, I've done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong at all. All I did was say what God told me to say. And the leaders uh, started arguing amongst themselves. And finally, again, a riot broke out. And he was about to be flogged for causing the riot when he let a, so a soldier know that he was a Roman citizen who told the commander who went, uh-oh, I'm not even a natural-born Roman citizen. So that was the exact point where he again appealed to Caesar. Uh, then all of the uh, Jewish leaders and many other Jewish men at the time gathered around and Paul uh, explained and declared to them what the kingdom of God was all about. He tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses, from the Old Testament, because he didn't have a New Testament yet, did he? He was living the New Testament. And from the prophets. Well, this assembly of leavers, they started arguing among themselves, and uh, some started to believe, and others got so mad they left, and the big part that was, was remaining turned into its own little riot again. That they're, uh, uh, the third riot that Paul would suffer through here. And so Paul finally broke in and said, I'm going to tell you the truth here. The truth is, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. You can imagine what the crowd did. The crowd went nuts. But that goes back to what Ananias was told by God when he was asked to pray for Paul to re Saul to re uh, retrieve his sight from the road of Damascus when Jesus appeared to him and knocked him off his donkey. God said, go, Ananias. I know you're afraid of him. I know he's killing Christians. But go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. Now, Paul sat for two years in house arrest, waiting with uh, Felix, and he boldly taught boldly, and he did it without hindrance. So for two years, he was allowed some freedom. He had a Roman guard, but he was bold. There was never a trial. At the end of the two years, they let him go because nobody was willing to make choices. So he went through four years of confinement, Two years in Caesarea with Felix, and then two more years in Rome waiting on Caesar. And when it was all done after those four years, what did he have? Freedom. He had his freedom. God was watching over his evangelistic apostle. During this time, though, while he was in prison, he didn't just sit there. He wrote four epistles. How many epistles have you written? Have you read the Epistle of Kim yet? It doesn't exist, yeah. He wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And because he wrote them from prison, they're called the... Somebody from my class ought to know this. They're called the prison epistles. Then, after all of that, he's free. It's time to retire. It's time to finally say, I've had enough. It's time I just want to find some nice place on the beach. And I just want to, I've done my job for God. But listen to what he did after that. He traveled to Ephesus, took along Timothy, and established 
a major church in Ephesus, and Timothy became well, what we'd kind of call today a, a, a bishop almost in uh, Ephesus. He traveled to Macedonia. He traveled to the island of Crete, where they had left when they were uh, shipwrecked, before they were shipwrecked, and he installed Titus. And you can read the book of Titus all about that. Uh, he traveled to Nicopolis and Troas. During this time, he wrote a couple more epistles, 1 Timothy and Titus. He's busy. He should be retired. He, he's probably, at this point, mm, he's probably 65, 66. I'm 71. I'm retired, and I like it. And uh, I have to tell you that I, I'm impressed by this man. I'm impressed by his, his vigor. So finally, he wrote six epistles. He established leaders on two major places. He was arrested, we don't know why, and he was imprisoned in Rome in, again. Uh, and there's very little information on this. What we do know is that in his lifetime, Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. How many times? Twice. He was hated, he was imprisoned, he was chased from city to city. In one city, they were coming to kill him, and it was, they had the house surrounded. How did they get him out? Do you remember? Lowered him out of the window in a basket. He even had to do that to save his life. And it took 276 soldiers to protect him. That is significant, a significant life, a significant evangelistic life. So let's look at a few verses here. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 6-7. And what I, what I would like to do is I would like to see where are we at at this time in our life. Having just heard about Paul's, and what was that, 10, 15 minutes? Having heard about Paul's life and what he accomplished. And, and I believe there's no other man other than Jesus in the, in the uh, New Testament who accomplished more. I think, uh, and he wasn't even one of the original 12 apostles. Well, we look at in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, and he wrote to Timothy, and this would have been uh, right almost at the end of his life. For I am already being poured out like a what? Drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Is that something you'd like to be able to say? At the end of your life? Yeah. Boy, me too. I've often wondered what God's going to have to say to me when I get to heaven. <laughs> I've always suspected when I get there, he's going to say, Oh, Kim, you need to go to this room over here on the side. Uh, God wants to talk to you a bit. <laughs> so, pouring out, it's a metaphor. Pouring out like a drink offering. A drink offering was, about, was, it was, called, a, it was called a hen, the size, which is about a quart of, of, of wine sweet wine, and it was provided with a lamb, and it was provided with a grain offering every morning and every twilight, and sacrificed on the altar in the temple by a priest. So God, in Numbers, calls this drink offering an aroma pleasing to me. So do you see the metaphor? Paul is saying here, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, I am an aroma pleasing to God. Would you like to be an aroma pleasing to God? Yeah. Some of us guys might think, well, I am an aroma, but <clears throat> I'm not so sure it's pleasing. And then three things. He fought a lot in his life, didn't he? Debates, arguments, teaching, even in the big city of Athens, in Rome, in Caesarea, in Jerusalem. He fought, he fought and argued all the time for Christ. And his emphasis was not just on running a race. It was not just on starting a race. It was on what? Finishing the race. That's his emphasis. So he fought, he finished, and he kept his faith in Christ. And that, that also was a faith in Christ, but also a faith in the Christian doctrine. He kept that faith. He actually developed a lot of Christian doctrine on his own. So fought, finished, faith. Can you say that for me? Fought, Finished faith. 2 Timothy 4.8, one verse later he says, Now, after that, now there's in store for me what? 
Yeah, crown of righteousness. How many of you watched uh, King Charles be coronated this year, last year? It was a big crown, wasn't it? They treated it with reverence everywhere. Well, guess what? Our crown knocks it silly. Our crown is a crown of righteousness because it comes from the righteous one. And it's there at the end of this race waiting on us. And I believe it probably has our name on it. They'll probably have misspelled Kim like everybody does. But, you know, it'll probably be Tim or Jim or Ken. He says, now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, hallelujah, will award to me when? On that day. What is that day? Well, that day is the day that you die. Or that day is the day that the Lord comes, depending on what order that happens. So when that happens, he will award you your crown of righteousness. And not only to me, Paul said, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you want a crown of righteousness? Yeah. Where will you keep it? I mean, that's probably not something you just want to leave out on the table. You know? But no, seriously, everybody, everybody, all those who know Christ can receive a crown of righteousness. So why did he fight? Why did he finish? Why did he keep on? Why did he do this? Why did he keep so faithful? Well, this crown, this, in, in the Greek, this word is stephanos, stephanos, excuse me. And, it, and it's a mark of royal or a mark of exalted rank. And that makes sense, doesn't it? But there's, there's a second meaning to it. Yeah, in the lexicons, and that second meaning is that it is an Olympic garland given as, as a prize in public games. Now, when we watch the Olympics, how many winners are there of each event? Three. Yeah, and we give them medals, don't we? Who gets first place? They get a what? Gold, silver, then bronze. Um, but in this time, the, and the Olympics had been going on since the uh, six or 700 B.C. by this time in Olympia, uh, they took wild olive leaves from a sacred tree that was near the temple of Zeus in Olympia. And they would plate them together, and the winner, only the winner, if you're an also-ran, you're an also-ran, <laughs> the winner would receive this beautiful woven crown. Called a garland, right? Um, you see the tie here? The Olympic theme? He's talking about fighting. He's talking about finishing his race. He's talking about uh, keeping his faith in Christ. The very, very uh, Olympics here. Fight. Now, Hebrews 12. We have here the Hall of Faith. And the Hall of Faith, also called the Hall of Heroes, probably most of you have read it. Do you remember it? It starts out, and it's all the Old Testament saints, they call them, who had faith in God, and the author of Hebrews uh, listed them, and many of them even talked about what, what they accomplished because of their faith in God. All of them, it says, were commended for their faith. The Greek word there is martyr, martyr. Any idea what we get in English from that word? How about martyr? Yeah, it comes straight from it, straight from it. So when it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the word is martyr. Let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily tangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you believe there's a race marked out for you? There is. There is. Let us... Here's the good part. Let us what? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man. Why should you consider that? Because you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the first point here, fix your eyes on Jesus. Any of you been runners, or are you a runner? When you're running, I, uh, I have a brother who has run many, many marathons, uh, 26 miles, 26.2. 
Um, I could never run a marathon. Could not. Uh, but I could run half marathons, 13 miles. So my brother and I, once in a while, would run together. And then about halfway, when I'm about ready to finish, he'd take off because his eyes was on a different mark, a different prize. And uh, uh, he knew. There was one time in particular on a Thanksgiving morning, uh, my brother and I decided to run from my house in Talmadge to my sister's house in Jackson, uh, which is basically Maslin now. And that was, we, we had a rural route plotted out. My brother plotted, plotted it out. And uh, it, it was 26.2 miles. And I said, around 16, 17 miles, I got to drop out. That's just the way it is. And you can go on. So my father, God bless him, he decided to be our support. And he had his big car, and he had water, and he had snacks. And he would drive up and down, and he would, as the distance between my brother and I got wider, it would take him a little longer before he'd check on me. And he had told me beforehand, he said, you know, I thought about maybe getting one of those orange flags that were on the back of banana bikes. Do you remember them? Flat behind your head. Sticking it, you know, in the back of your pants. That way, if you collapse and go into the ditch, I'd be able to see your flag. A lot of confidence there, wasn't there? Well, that didn't happen, but he did pick me up at the right space. And um, we're to fix. So as a runner, we fix our eyes as a Christian on the end. We keep our focus on Jesus during the whole race. And we keep our focus on the road. Because to get to Jesus, we need to stay on what? The road. This gives us our strength. This gives us our direction. This gives us our focus. Then he says, why don't I become weary? Why don't I lose heart? I would certainly not uh, criticize Paul if he had gotten weary, if he had lost heart once in a while. Because he said, I know that Christ endured opposition. Because his eyes are on Jesus, and he knows what Jesus endured to get at the end of our race, then even to death, if he endured Paul said, so can I. And finally, or not quite finally, Philippians 1, it says, For to me, now read this last little part with me, just this one phrase. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was terrible. Let's try it again. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can do it. If I'm going to go on living in the body, Paul said, this will mean what? Fruitful labor. I'm not going to just be retired. He expects fruitful labor. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Do I want to die and, and, and gain, or do I want to stay and, and be in Christ's service, doing fruitful labor? Which is better by far? And so he says, I desire to depart. I want to die and be with Christ. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. When we die, we will have reached the mark of our particular race. And Jesus Christ will be at the end of that race. First Timothy, uh, well, let's skip that one. Let's go finally to Philippians 3, 13 to 14. And Paul one more time emphasizes our race when he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on. Brothers, I don't consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. So he hasn't reached the end of his race yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I can tell you uh, from other scripture that prize is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So press on. He says forget the past. Abraham Lincoln had a saying which has been repeated by so many people it even became a song uh, in modern rock, and that was, um, when you turn around to look behind you, you're going to have two steps backward and one step forward. So when we're running our race, forget what's behind. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What's important is what we're aiming for. We are to strain ahead, it said. And in the Greek, this strain means to stretch out. And particularly, again, it has an Olympic theme, to stretch out for the finish line. Have you ever seen guys do that? Or when? Yeah. What do they do at the very end? When there's, especially the 100-meter race, they're all just so close to each other, and what are they all doing? 
sticking their heads out. Some are sticking their feet out. Some lose their balance and go bam, bam, bam. I've even seen one dive to try to get over first. And it, it was successful. Well, we're to be straining that much in our race. Are you straining? If God looked at you today, would he say, oh, I don't know if you're straining. Are you straining? I don't know. So as we end, I'll just ask a few questions. Are you fighting a good fight? Are you fighting a good fight, or are you one of those who stand in a circle around a fight cheering somebody on? Are you running to finish your race? How's your race doing? Is your eye on that crown of righteousness at the end? I should have put a crown of righteousness up, but I don't know what that looks like. Are you in fruitful labor? That sounds kind of funny, but are you doing fruitful labor? Are you pressing on? Are you straining to your goal? Are your eyes fixed on who? Jesus. Or are you weary? Are you losing heart? Have you lost sight of your goal? Have you perhaps found yourself slowing down in your race? Have you slowed? And it's questionable if you'll make that end. Have you stopped? Have you turned aside? Have you just said, have you just ignored it? Well, if you have, that crown of righteousness is still there. That path is still there. It was made by Jesus Christ. My challenge to us today, every one of us, is to recognize what our personal race is and to make sure that we're consistently straining, we're consistently pressing on, we're consistently fighting the good faith as Paul did. That is what Paul has left us in 2023. He didn't even know we were going to exist, and yet he left us this great challenge, a challenge that he lived in in the first hundred years uh, A.D., the Christian church expanded so fast, and a lot of it was due to Paul and the other apostles. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now, and, and we ask that you would give us understanding here. May the Holy Spirit talk to each one of our hearts individually in a way that our hearts will understand, different from anybody else here. Lord, challenge us. Perhaps we've slowed down. Perhaps we've turned our gaze somewhere else. And perhaps we've just left the race. We're living, calling ourselves a Christian, but we're not, we're not racing. We're just sitting. Father, I pray that each one of us would commit to you to continue our race, to stay on the race, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith. And Lord, at the end, it won't just be a wild olive uh, wreath that you give us, or we won't get a gold medal. We get a golden crown of righteousness. And we thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank Kim once again for bringing us the word this morning. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. A couple reminders before we go. Uh, Pastor Matt last week uh, told us there were a couple books. Um, if you are a new believer and you want to learn more about the faith and just what, what we're doing here in church and why we do it and how to shine your light, there is a free book for you up here on the front of the platform this morning. You can come grab. It's called Christian Beliefs. Feel free to take one again. This is if you're new to the faith, not somebody who's been in it for uh, five, si five, six years or, or longer. So make sure that you take this. If it's something you need to find out more about, there's that one for you. If you know that you're supposed to shine your light and you've not been doing it for one reason or another, this is a book for you as well. It's called Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. And I know last week we had a couple people sign up for this book. They weren't able to grab it, but there are more here today. So again, uh, let's make them disappear before second service even gets here. That way we'll have to order more for them. So that's what we want to do today. 
Well, we're so glad that you were with us today. A couple reminders. Just make sure that you come back here on April 7th. It's a wonderful time to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. And then on April 9th, Easter Sunday, when we get to celebrate his resurrection. Would you please stand? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this morning. Thank you once again for the worship and the word and meeting us in this place. We pray today you'd be with us as we go and we would remember to fight, finish through faith. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.